You're listening to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority of their families. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Todd Lesher, and today we're talking all about the preschool brain with Dr. Jennifer Potter. Dr. Potter graduated from the University of Cincinnati in 2007 and achieved a Ph.D. in clinical pediatric neuropsychology. She worked at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital for five years before moving to Charlotte, where she works in a private practice called Carolina Neural Behavioral Service. She works primarily with children and evaluates how neurological and developmental disorders affect a child's thinking, behavior, and emotional well-being. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. I made it through that intro. That was fantastic, Todd. Thank you very much for having me. I had to practice a lot of those words before. (laughs) Well, it's great having you with us. So you are not only a doctor, you're also a wife, a mom, and you're a part of Forest Hill Church. So tell us a little bit about your family and your time at Forest Hill. Thanks, Todd. Um, Yes, I do play all of those roles. Um, I have four children, uh, Elizabeth, age seven, and then three boys, Caleb, who's six, and Michael, who's three, and Nathan, who's almost two, and definitely entering those two, the terrific twos. Yes, in the mix. In the mix, yes. Um, And my husband, John, and we were part of the startup of Forest Hill Waxhaw Campus. Awesome. And that was very exciting, and it's been fun to be here. We both serve in the children's ministry here, and just love being around children, having children, and enjoying lots of family time. Awesome. Well, I know the team loves having you and your family as part of Waxhaw, and the Waxhaw team is an awesome team as well. So um, let's talk about the preschool brain. Sure. Uh, you're a neuropsychologist. Let's start with that. What is that in the first place? You mean you don't hear that I, I word mean, every day? <laughs> It's a great term, and I would love to use it for myself, but that would be lying. So why don't you tell us the truth about it? Yes. Okay. So a neuropsychologist is basically someone who combines what's going on in the brain and then what kinds of behavior and thinking we see in everyday life. So a lot of people who come to me have difficulties paying attention, difficulties processing information, Um, memory problems, and that's somehow related to a neurologic event for them. Maybe it's seizures or a head injury. And my job is to assess all of those cognitive functions and come up with why those things are happening, and then also to come up with a plan for how to help their brains improve in daily performance in their school and home lives. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm grateful for the work that you do. I'm fascinated by the brain. This is a random uh, insight into my mind, but I love space, but Mm. I can't explore it. And so the brain for me is space that I can explore and understand. I like that analogy. I'm never going to work for NASA, unfortunately, (laughs) but I can study the brain a little bit. So I already love this conversation. So let's start with the basics. Why don't you just give us a brain development and function overview? Okay, sure. Um, I think... Everybody knows that the brain starts to develop even in utero, um, and even after a couple weeks of conception, the brain waves are already forming, Mm. and you can detect those signals. Um, So it's already affected by the things that mom does during pregnancy. Yeah. Um, There are 
100 billion neurons that are already present in the brain at birth, and those are the cells that are processing information. So the best way, I think, as parents to think about this is that the brain develops from back to front. So some of those primary functions in the back of the brain and the brainstem, like arousal and heart rate and Mm -hmm. sleep-wake cycles and things like that, the things you see in a newborn. Um, And then it it continues to develop um, in the back of the brain towards the front. And you have four hemispheres, two hemispheres with um, four lobes on each hemisphere. So in the back, you've got the occipital lobe, which is responsible for vision. Um, And then you kind of move forward, you've got the parietal lobes, which are responsible for sensation, visual perception, um, you got the temporal lobes responsible for memory, hearing, um, understanding language, which has to come before mm-hmm. you start speaking. Right, right. And when you start speaking and expressing language, that's in the front part of the brain in the frontal mm-hmm. lobes. Yeah. So it's helpful. The frontal lobes are responsible for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and, and the last part to develop in the very front is that prefrontal cortex where yeah. you're seeing emotional control and personality yeah. and the ability to inhibit responses that are appropriate yeah, to do. Yeah, that's so, awesome. We'll yeah. give a quiz at the end of this. We will. So. <laughs> I think um, one other thing that's important to know is that in the preschool brain, yeah. you've got, it's a very dynamic time. So there's we, what we call a critical period, and yeah. it's when language is coming on board in the ages of two and three. So okay. if you're wondering as a parent why there are lots of meltdowns, a lot, mm. I mean, we'll talk more about that as we go, but also that rapid change in development um, can be taxing on these little guys. So um, I think that's uh, important to know, too, that some days they might act one way and another day act another. Mm. But that's kind of all woke up a different child than the day before. (laughs) It's like, what's going on here? What happened to my child? So um, when it comes to that prefrontal cortex development, some of that executive function there. So when that that starts to develop, can you get into a little bit more, you know, things like Mm self-regulation or impulse control Mm -hmm. where we go, that sounds more like maturity or uh, what an adult would have, but Mm -hmm. that can happen in preschool or so a little bit more of an executive function. Can you unpack that? Sure. Um, So executive functioning is exactly that being able to regulate your behaviors and your emotions being able to plan ahead and think through tasks, Mm -hmm. follow multi-step commands, um, to be able to problem solve. Hey, this isn't working right. I need to to figure out a new way to get there. And so I think in preschoolers, is all of that fully developed? Of course not. And parents, don't worry, that doesn't fully develop Mm -hmm. till your mid-20s, so you got lots of time. Um, But it really is giving them multi-step tasks. Hey, can they follow two-step commands. Can they start to organize their toys? Maybe you set up that organization for them, but they can start to do those things. Um, And a big one is self-regulation, starting to help them understand what they are feeling Mm -hmm. um, in the moment and what caused them to feel that way. So that when they're faced with that again, how can they use some tools to, to regulate and calm down? Yeah. Um, You know, I even watch my one-year-old problem solve. Right. He can't get through the playroom right now because it's packed with toys um, through one way. So he goes around another way. An executive and function. It's an executive function. Yep. Right. And I clap and jump for joy. And <laughs> some of our preschoolers are some of the most clever when it yeah. comes to problem solving. They may sit there and be like, I can't do this. And then at the next day, they're unlocking the door and they're getting out of the house. And it's like, wait a second. You just couldn't right. do this. You couldn't no. clean up your room. You're like, can you, you slow down on that? <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. And so. 
um, what is it? Uh, crisscross applesauce. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. that's a demonstration of executive function. It is. It at, is. At work, yes. Right. Right. The ability to sit still for a moment right. and pay attention to something. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And that's another thing to be able to kind of hold those directions online and yep. follow them. Yeah. You know, that's a huge win for the frontal right. lobes. Right. That's really great. <laughs> so uh, you, you might hear people talk about I'm more left brain than right brain, mm. uh, but you don't just have a left brain or you were born with just a right brain. You have both. So can you help us have a better understanding of left brain and right brain? (laughs) Sure. Well, first of all, do recognize that they are connected by um, uh, very strong fibers called the corpus callosum and lots of neurons Mm -hmm. and firing back and forth between the two halves. But left brain um, is where you're going to see language, reasoning, a lot of logical thinking. Right brain is more on the emotional side. You see a lot of nonverbal ability, spatial skills. Um, creativity, imagination. And so I think it is helpful for first for parents to realize where they fall. Are they more emotionally reactive to things Mm -hmm. or are they more logical and um, able to kind of talk through things well? And then understanding that preschoolers are really going to respond more from the right brain side. It's they're more emotional and um, and that's appropriate. Yeah. So I think understanding that and giving them empathy when they do react emotionally to something and then kind of pointing out what that means for mm-hmm. them. So coming to their level emotionally, uh, not throwing a tantrum, but yeah. empathizing with them and then labeling what they're feeling and helping yeah. them problem solve. And I had a great example of this the other day. Yeah. Um, my daughter, who's seven, so she's not a preschooler anymore, mm-hmm. but um, we can yep. still have a lot of those emotional right. reactions. Right. Uh, she <laughs> <laughs> ran into a metal gate yep. and I didn't see it. So I wasn't sure exactly how it happened because my son was playing soccer. And she just came to me with blood everywhere and screaming, Mm. crying. Mm -hmm. And um, as a neuropsychologist's daughter, the first thing she's worried about, of course, is her brain. Did she do anything to mess up her brain? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. But she's saying that in a very... irrational and <laughs> emotional way. So I we, we just hug, we talk about it. But I realized if I started asking questions and started labeling and started asking why she mm-hmm. did this or how it happened, we were going to get nowhere. So yeah. we just focused on what she was feeling, was able to calm her down. Just That was my number one yeah. goal is to calm her down, even though inside I had a lot of other things I sure. wanted to say. Yep. But then maybe an hour later, we talked about, okay, so when you're running, mm. what are some things you could look out for? Or yeah. how could you be safe in this experience? Yep. And so we realized, oh, maybe not looking behind us, stay looking mm-hmm. forward. That's that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, but it was very helpful to take a step back in my mind and think, okay, mm-hmm. she's having a right brain reaction right now. Yeah. So I got to meet yeah. her there, yep. you know, and provide her that comfort before we start labeling it. But you do want the two to come together because yeah. it is a whole brain. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. So let's talk about nature and nurture. How does that factor into early childhood development? Um, well, really, each play a role in every single stage of development um, and just support that increasingly complex and elaborate structures yeah. of the brain. Um, but if you think about nature and nurture, nature is your genetic makeup. So you can't 
do anything to change that. Sure. Um, and as parents, we may want to pick out which genes we pass on and which ones mm-hmm. we don't, but we don't get to decide that. Yeah. Um, and then nurture is the experience and the environment yeah. that, that kids are living in. So I think from the nature perspective, it's important to understand who your children are and to be a student of your child. Yeah. What are they more inclined to? What are they less inclined to? Um, and then not just give them experiences that are that or suit their desires or natural abilities, but then also broaden them and take them out of their comfort zone to help them have experiences um, that are going to stretch them. So the way I think it is good to think about um, experiences is that um, you're really you're teaching your kids through the reading and through art and through imaginative play yeah. and you're you're allowing those neurons to fire and process information mm-hmm. and connect. Um, so I think the more sort of time and energy you spend in, spend engaging with them, you're going to take what's already there genetically and mm-hmm. expand it yeah. um, from the experiences that they they receive. Um, And I think even, you know, just watching in my own family, one child who was more introverted and reserved. And so we paid attention to that and waited a little bit longer for preschool. But then on the same token, we exposed her to to social relationships and it took her longer to get there. Mm -hmm. But I think it was important to come at it from both ways to give her more that whole brain perspective, right? Right, You know, so and allow her to, to feel just excited about some of those new skills and tools she yeah. had. Well, that's good that you bring that up, talking about a specific child, because we were talking about this before we started recording, where I often hear from parents is like, I don't know what happened. We parent our children <laughs> the same. Right. And it's not true because no. we grow, we change, life changes, and our yeah. children do too. And they aren't yeah. all born with the same personality. Mm-hmm. And you may have one child in one home and then you move to another area of town or across the country. That's a change. And so all Absolutely. of those affect. But you can. what you're saying is there is a constant. You can provide constant love, care for that attachment, right. but you're going to have to adjust. You know, I, I describe parenting as evolution sometimes. It's a form of adaptation, <laughs> adapting to right. your child's changes right. that are taking true. place. So that's yeah. really helpful to know that there's some agility in right. this play. Right. And to understand what stage of development that they're in yep. and then how you can interact with them during that stage and what can you be focusing on to get them through it, to move them on to the next one, to meet them where they're at. I think all that's important. Well, let's talk a little bit about that focus. So there is so much parenting advice and opinion out there. (laughs) What do you, as a neuropsychologist, recommend to parents to prioritize healthy brain development? I would say time, engaged time with your children. Um, There's actually research to show that positive time with children. It only has to be about 15 to 20 minutes a day. But that positive time that you spend with your child, picking an activity that they like to do where you're not correcting them unless there's a danger there, but you're really just commenting on what they're doing. You're engaging with them. You're playing with them. You're focused on them. That Mm -hmm. focused time and energy spent um, on playing and engaging and talking and listening. Um, I, you know, I thought about all these different things. Well, everybody says, read, 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 read mm-hmm. to your children. Talk, talk, talk to your children. And it enhances their linguistic skills, yeah, you know, all yeah. these wonderful things. But I think those things are wonderful and they are important. But I think focused time with your children mm-hmm. is, is yep. key. We used to, and sometimes still do, give as a uh, 
kind of a reward at the end of the day, 10 minutes of time that you could pick what you wanted to do oh, with yeah. mom or dad. Yeah. And my children just, they loved this. That's they looked great. forward yeah. to it. And so now we try to do dates and things yeah. like that with kids, but it doesn't have to be fancy. Mm. It yeah. can be playing trucks. That's really good. I, I would put the challenge out there. And I know that everybody's life and time situation is different, but the discipline of saying yes to your kids. I so walk true. in, I come home from work, and the uh-huh. first thing that my sons say to me, Dad, can we build Legos? Dad, can we play basketball? <laughs> and it's the discipline, and I don't always get it, but right. yes. Yes. And I'll sit down and build Legos for 10 right. to 15 minutes with right. them. I, sometimes it's just sitting in the room with them and yes. finding the Legos for them. But that, yes. the challenge of say yes. Say yes right. for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you can put your you decompress from work or whatever you need right. to do. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Well, let's go through some of those hot topics that come up when you talk about preschoolers. Yes. So let's start with sleep. Why is sleep so essential? And it doesn't feel like we get any sleep when we have preschoolers, but why is it so essential that they get the, the amount of sleep that they need? Well, I think sleep is the foundation for everything else. So you can see behaviors unravel, emotions go haywire when kids are not getting enough sleep. But there is science to that. And what's going on in the brain is that during sleep, and you have to have enough hours of it. So mm-hmm. for preschoolers, they're really still recommending 11 to 12 okay. hours of sleep, give or take you know, an hour on each end, just depending on your child. But um, they're still really recommending that consistency and going to bed around the same time every night so that you can allow your child that 11 to 12 hours that they need. But also to allow them to go through all the stages of sleep. Mm. So there's a non-REM part of sleep and a REM, and and the REM is where all the dreaming happens. In the non-REM, you've got four pretty distinct stages, and when you're sleep deprived, you can skip out on some of those stages. So if you're getting the right amount of sleep and you go through those stages, you're going to, one of the stages, stage two, will allow memories to consolidate and Mm -hmm. store from the day. So the things that the child learned throughout the day are being stored at nighttime. And then also in stage three, you're getting restoration of the body. Mm. So it's so essential. These preschoolers, they're going hard all day long. And they're learning so much and soaking in so much. So if we can give them the rest and the time that they need to spend in those stages, you're going to see differences in in their behavior Mm. and just their energy level. Like nobody likes to be sleep deprived. (laughs) It affects all of our moods. And we have fully developed frontal lobes. Mm -hmm. They do not. So... um, I think it's also important to, to recognize that when kids are not getting sleep, there are some very real effects, poor attention and slow processing right. speed, um, and just difficulties regulating, controlling those emotions and behaviors. So studies have, there's been a lot of studies out there on mm-hmm. it. So I say, really, when I'm talking to parents in my office, I'm always asking about sleep and yeah. making sure that that's happening because that's it really is the foundational for all the other skills yeah. you're going to build. That's really good. Yeah. How about diet and physical activity? Well, I think with diet, um, we all know to eat more fruits and vegetables and to eat less processed foods yeah. and things like that. I think um, unless there are allergies, I a lot of parents will kind of ask me, should we go gluten-free or mm-hmm. should we... Uh, do vegan or paleo or all these different things. And I am 
really big on let's teach kids what healthy foods are, what they do to their body and their brain, and then let's help them make good choices. And you can set that stage up for them by providing those choices for them. Um, But really teaching them how to regulate is important. You know, some people, I want them to eat all their food on their plate. That's not really helping them regulate. Mm -hmm. You know, when are they full and can they tell you? Now, if they've had one bite, maybe they're pulling your leg. But um, I think you know your child and you know sometimes they're going to be hungry hungrier than others, depending on growth spurts and things like that. But I do think that allowing for more um, moderation and and regulation on their part can be really helpful. And I I explained to my kids, look, when you eat this, this is what it does Mm -hmm. to your body. Mm -hmm. When you eat this, this gives you fuel and energy to play. And so now they're starting to like, is this one healthy? Is that, you know, (laughs) I'm not trying to create an obsession there. But but you, I think everybody knows what too much sugar or carbs do to Mm -hmm. your little ones when I allow those ice cream sundaes with lots of toppings. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yep. You know, fruit flavored ice cream. You yeah, know, that's healthy. Come on. That's totally healthy. <laughs> <laughs> My wife, a brilliant idea. She just puts an open bin of fruit in the fridge. Oh, I love and that. And it's ready to go. And I she love that. dumps the baby carrots in there and the <laughs> mandarin oranges, and it's just, just grab and go. Wow, and so that's wonderful. It's no effort to open the fridge and grab. And no. They're not tall enough to reach up into the cabinets right. where all that other stuff right. is. So they're just like, I'm not going to put up the effort. My stuff is right here, and I grab it. And for the most part, they'll get it. But, right. you know, when there's. Candy from a holiday or something like that. I know. They're That's always going to the choose that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so physical activity, why is that so important for preschoolers? Um, Well, I think that, you know, from a brain perspective, that's really getting blood flowing for them. Uh, We used to talk about it in graduate school. Our professor of of neuropsychology would say it's called cortical tone. So he would make us get up and walk around the building a couple times during class. And it increases your attention and Mm -hmm. your focus and it gets the blood flowing through your body. Um, It also helps to increase endorphins so you can have more positive mood Mm -hmm. there. But also when kids are experiencing a lot of emotional reactions, it can help the body and the brain communicate. Mm. Like a lot of times when I start to see meltdowns, I have kids run laps around the house, you know, or start doing jumping jacks. Yeah, it'd be so funny to drive by your house and they go, up. Kids are having an emotional breakdown. The kids are running around the house. There they are again. Yeah. There's the potters, all four of them. Mom's in the lead. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep, right out there I with you. Because I need it the most. Yep. But it does really help calm things down. And there's actually studies, too, to show that movement helps kids focus better at school. Mm. There's increased um, performance on tests. Yeah. So that that blood flow getting to the brain is so important. And yep. just sitting there all day, you right, know, that's, right. that's not going to be helpful. For yeah. them. <laughs> yep. That's good. And I think it teaches them healthy exercise at a young age, mm-hmm. you know, and things that they will hopefully continue to do. Yeah, definitely. Life. Establish those routines or those neural pathways that, you know, Absolutely. form habits and behaviors. Yeah, look at you. Like you're already I'm you're trying, trying to impress the pro here. Right. Yeah, that's all that is. All right, let's talk about probably the most, oh, no. the, the hottest topic here. Everybody probably can guess, but screen time. Okay, screen so time. That my recent studies, there's a new generation out there, Generation Alpha. Mm. And, you know, Generation Z is the one that we have been focusing on primarily, right. but Generation Alpha, nine and younger. So okay. 2010 to 2025 is kind of this projection. Okay. And they're kind of the the screen dominated. They are asking for iPads instead of toys. Right. You know, the baby's first toy is a screen. So let's talk about this very sensitive top topic. Very sensitive. But, from the brain yes. side of things. <laughs> I'm often the screen. bad guy on this. But, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think 
under age two, there's there's the no screen rule for the brain is just having going through so much rapid development during that time. Now, I have four children, and does my youngest watch Daniel Tiger? Yes. Of course. Occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, does he love Elmo? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's not two yet. Yeah. He'll be two in a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, I think we do not spend all day every day on TV, so I think he's okay. Mm -hmm. um, but I think from a parent perspective, uh, to limit, limit, limit yeah. the screens. So is it always better to be engaging with your children playing board games, sports, right. outside? Of course. Are there times when a screen is very helpful mm -hmm. to get ready in the morning, to make dinner? Yes. And yeah. are, is that completely fine? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think just limiting it as, you know, 30 minutes a day, I mm -hmm. think maybe 60 is okay. Um, and then on weekends, don't give unlimited amount of time. Right. Set up your expectations and rules ahead of time. And I think two shows that are going to be more educational or they're actually going to learn something sure. out of it. So yeah. I think that um, to understand what's going on in the brain is that not all screens are the same. Okay. So what they have shown is that those short YouTube video clips, mm. video games, kids are getting a lot of feedback and stimulation from those. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not always good. You're fighting something, you're trying to win the race. Yeah. So you're you're increasing these levels of cortisol, which is your stress which increases stress yeah. uh, in your in your brain and in your body. And then you're asking them to come off and go read a book. Right. Those right. two things are not going to work well together. Yeah. Um, and also with those video games they've shown some increases in our feel good neurotransmitters, which is dopamine. Mm -hmm. And then when you're off of those, your body's got to regulate that somehow yeah. so oh, we made too much earlier now we're gonna make less yeah. so when you're seeing those meltdowns and there's just a lot of family contention over screens mm -hmm. and sometimes I wonder well why do we even have them yep. if it's gonna cause so much strife I mean for some families they set the limits and the expectations and it works well um, but you know, I've seen all four of my kids react very differently mm. to screens, yep. and some I think are more prone to become addicted yeah. than others. Yeah. And so I think it's important to recognize that and to to really set set those limits, knowing what's happening in their little brains. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I will let's get out and and go for a bike ride right. when we're done, because then we can kind of come off of it yep. more easily. Yeah. Or even setting a little timer five minutes before it's done so right. it prepares. You know how parenting goes with the pacifier il illustration where first child and the pacifier drops on the ground and you throw it away. Yes. Second yes. child, you pick uh -huh. it up, you throw it in the dishwasher and you clean it. Third child, you just put it in your mouth, clean it and give it back to the child. <laughs> For us, that was screen time. You know, yes. with our firstborn, right. we were like, we're not doing the screen thing. And then right. the second child came along and we're like, to keep the first one entertained, yes. just go watch something. Uh -huh. But then the second one, he's watching it too. Right. And then the third one comes along, he's reprogramming the TV. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, but the, what you're talking about, the important thing is the boundaries and the limits it that is. you put on it. it so right. that they're not ruled by it, but a right. boundary kind of gives them the structure. Yes, definitely. And really setting good. those expectations up ahead of time with your kids, yeah. I think is really important. Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah. So how can parents develop self-regulation and empathy in their, in, the, in their kids? You've talked about that a couple times, but right. especially for preschoolers, it can happen. Right. You know, it can begin no, it can. the early development it of that. It can, yeah. Um, I think it's it's really helpful to start labeling what they're feeling and, and putting labels to it. You know, they're, yeah. they're having tantrums and they're upset and they have no idea sometimes why mm -hmm. they got upset by that. Um, 
not necessarily in the middle of the tantrum, but coming out of that, you know, you're just providing that that love and understanding during it, or maybe ignoring whatever has worked, you know, best for for your child. But then I think you're really putting some label to that. Oh, okay, you were feeling upset and frustrated because little brother stole your toy. Mm-hmm. You know, I can yeah. understand how you would feel that way. So next time, what do you think you could do? I think asking yeah. them questions, getting them thinking, problem solving um, can be really helpful. And then my three-year-old often doesn't have a, a, an answer or maybe his mm-hmm. answer is not a good one. <laughs> yep. So I will give him some answers that I think would be helpful. Hey, well, next time, why don't you tell him I only play with kids who share? Yeah. yeah. Uh, or, and if it mm-hmm. continues to escalate, come get mommy right. and I will come and intervene. But then I, then we kind of review, okay, so you felt upset. Then you had the tantrum. What could we do next time? We could start taking deep breaths when we feel that, like our body, our heart rate's increasing. We're starting to get sweaty. Help them recognize what's going on in their body because their body's telling their brain a lot. Mm -hmm. And then help them, you know, I've watched my three-year-old be able to take deep breaths, count to 10 or mm. five, whatever yeah. is acceptable yeah. in the moment. Or we start running around the ottoman. You yeah, know, it's just, yeah. let's take a breather. And then I think what's really helpful is to model that for them. Hmm. So even in the car yesterday, my one-year-old's screaming, and I <laughs> told my children, and he screams a lot. This is who he is. We love him. And so I said, I'm really frustrated. I've tried everything, and I can't. I can't stop the screaming. Mm-hmm. So I am frustrated. I'm just going to think about how, what I'm feeling, and then I'm going to label that. Okay, it's okay to be frustrated because yeah. this is upsetting, yep. and I can't do anything about it. Mm. So that's hard. So what should I do next? Well, okay, I think maybe I'll I'll find my favorite song mm. to play. You know. Yep. So just trying to model that and teach them yeah. that. I think talking about what you're experiencing is really key right, giving them the language Absolutely. like you talked about give them language to their emotions yeah you know, i've heard of uh, emotion charts like oh, that may be helpful too <laughs> yeah like at the dinner table to yeah. say you know get some emoji faces and uh-huh. put them on a sheet of paper and go which yes. which emotion are you feeling right, here you know right. the sad face or the happy face or the mm-hmm. mad face yeah are you feeling this way right give them some words yes to that or my house you have a feelings game oh, okay okay <laughs> yeah but it's the same concept yeah exactly yeah that's right give them that language right to that this that's really helpful yeah and i think the empathy part too the second part of that is that some kids are going to be more inclined to understand how people are feeling and respond positively to that and other kids are not and that's just like some children are more prone to enjoying math and other kids aren't Mm -hmm. so i think teaching them that is to say well how do you think that woman felt when someone you know bumped into her at the store like kind of just talking again through that what emotions are they feeling Mm -hmm. and how do you think it felt when you took that toy out of your brother's hand yeah um so getting them thinking outside themselves and i think What's really important is to remember that they are preschoolers and that their brain is rapidly developing. And if you see your child regulate one out of every 20 to 30 times, count that as a win. Definitely. Jump up and down. Go get ice cream. Right. You talk about, (laughs) you know, as a child on track. And yes, they're not fully developed adults. Don't put those expectations on there, but celebrate. Like uh, my wife and I were talking and she was saying, you know, Alan, who's our 10 year old, he's out of the preschool phase, but she said, he asked if he could hold the door for her. Mm. And I overlook that stuff all the time. I'm like, That's come on, so you need sweet. to be more respectful, more thoughtful of other people. And he's right. trying. And I right. need to celebrate just the thoughtfulness to your Absolutely. point of like one out of 30 right. moments in the day. It's like, hey, 
there's some growth and development here. Exactly. So, I think our expectations are very oh, way too high. high. Mine are. And and mine I'm, are too. I'm guilty of mine that too. way I'm too often. <laughs> but in the empathy realm, we can like start getting into the faith conversation here because Absolutely. you know the scriptures tell us the writers of the Bible are like you know consider others more important than yourselves. Yes. That's empathy. And yes. Jesus said. Treat others like you want to be treated. That's an empathetic phrase there. So let's talk about faith. Like when it comes to preschoolers, I am so guilty of this in another area of just going, okay, just kind of bide the time with preschoolers. And by the time that they're in middle school and high school, they'll be ready for those faith conversations. Mm, But you can establish some real firm, life-changing foundations for preschoolers. Let's talk about that when it comes to faith. Um, And it's actually really important from a brain perspective because you are making those connections at that age and you are, you know, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So you're teaching them gratitude, empathy, thinking of others before themselves at an early age, then those pathways are ingrained and you don't have to fight so hard to teach them when they're older because yeah. those things will have already been ingrained. Mm-hmm. So I think it is important. I mean, I think, you know, research has actually shown listening to Christian music is one of the, you know, top five to seven things that that um, are is correlated to children continuing in oh, their faith cool. even when they're yeah. adults. So that's an easy one, right? You I can still can car. remember the songs from when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, and it's like kind of embarrassing, but I could tell you, you turn it on, I'm going to get every word right. Right. Yep. That's great. You could teach them to your kids. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Um, I think to remember that they are never too young to learn. So start with an age-appropriate Bible in your house. It can Mm be um, some of those, the preschool Bibles that we've kind of passed around at church or the ones that are in the classrooms. But I think starting at an early age and making it regular daily time. So you read the Bible every night before bed or in the morning. We do devotions a lot in our house in the Mm -hmm. morning. And I remember when I had my fourth child, and like I said, he... He's a screamer. Mm -hmm. So it was not easy to talk over him and to get the devotion done. And (laughs) (laughs) being a little bit Uh, more on the left brain uh, side, I wanted that to go the way I wanted it to go. So I... Uh, but the Lord was really calling me to just keep at it yeah. and to find yeah. new ways to do it. So maybe we started to do devotion sometimes while they were playing. It didn't have to always be at the breakfast mm-hmm. table while everyone was sitting there. But I think really talking about the Lord a lot, where do you see him every day? Um, one big thing that I've been doing with my kids lately is what has he done for us mm. and what is he continuing to do? Yeah. How do I see him at work yep. in their lives? What gifts has he given them? Yeah. So that's great for a little bit on the older side, but even for the young, like really reviewing those stories. You think you've heard the story of Noah Mm. or Joshua a million times, but you're going to pick up something new all the time. And they do, Mm -hmm. you know, so, and and kind of playing to your kid's strengths. My oldest likes to memorize the Bible. Mm. That's more who she is. And she could probably start teaching it. She's a teacher has that teaching style to her. Where my three-year-old, he wants to act it out. Hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm marching around the wall all the time. <laughs> As you're running around the house. It's We're running like, around. It's really the walls of Jericho. Don't let these walls fall down. But, you know, you, know, yeah, you can... Not these particular walls. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but, you know, veggie tales are so good yep. for that because um, they, they just reinforce yep. what you're teaching at home. And I think... Another big thing is to set aside a weekly time where you have 
Bible study in mm-hmm. your home, and it's Bible study and question night. Yeah. So we that's what we call it. We call it question night. So mm-hmm. everybody gets together and and we read a little bit of the yeah, Bible, talk really cool. about it, and then ask whatever questions you want. Mm. Try to stump mom and dad, uh-huh. and they love to try to stump. Mom yeah, and dad. yeah. Yeah. That's fun. So it, it's yep. fun because you want the faith to be their own. Definitely. You know. Yeah. So. Well, it goes back to kind of what you're saying. Um, what fires together wires together, yes. but you know where attention goes, that neuro firing goes. You know, uh, it kind of flows, and uh, in that the connections grow in that way. There's Absolutely. a rhyme there that someone has said at some point, but I think about my son, and this is where I violate the screen time. But in the mornings when mm-hmm. I'm doing my quiet time, my son always gets up at 6:20 every day, <laughs> barely 11 hours. You know, and I'm out there, and he's like, "Dad, can we do Bible study?" And that behavior has yeah. happened, and so we sit and we do the U version for kids, cool. 10 minutes. Right. But it has developed a pattern. I'm like. I want to celebrate that because right. he's getting the Bible into his system. Absolutely. That age, he might not be able to come back and recite it and have this theology, but he's appreciating it. Exactly. You know? so that's and he's been good. watching you. So right, I think right. that's really important too. model it for your kids. Oh, dad's mm-hmm. having his quiet time with yep. the word. Yeah. Oh, I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I used to get frustrated by interruptions during my quiet time. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Right. Yes. But then... The Lord really softened my heart and said, "No, incorporate mm, them in yep, your quiet time." Yep. You know, so now my three-year-old says, "Oh, I'm gonna take he's notes on that one. Yeah. I need to, I'm right there. Yes, that's good. <laughs> Let's do Bible time yep, together." Yes, yes. Well, let's start wrapping this up. This conversation sure. has been great, and I would love for it to just go on and on and on. It's so fascinating. But to wrap it up, what do preschoolers need most from their parents? Just kind of a final thought here. Um, I mean, I think. They need, first of all, for us to be in good shape. So are we getting enough sleep? Are we um, eating the right foods? Are we finding some time just to rejuvenate and Mm. finding whatever that looks like? Um, They also, they they really, because they need us to be loving and understanding Mm. and to recognize what stage of development that they're in and to come alongside of them and to really pour out that unconditional love mm-hmm. and you can't do it on your own yep. and i'm the first to admit every morning i just pray for the holy spirit to fill me and to guide me and to give me the fruits of the spirit yeah. um, because it parenting is it's challenging right and you got to give yourself a lot of grace definitely um but i think if you keep pointing them to jesus mm-hmm. and you keep pointing to who he was and still is yeah. and will do in their lives i think um you can't go wrong because you don't yeah. want to compare to your neighbor yep. or the kid down the street. You just, you, your identity is in him. And if you're working every day to serve and live like him mm. and model that for your kids um, and to love like he loves, remember these little ones yep. are created in his image. Yep. Um, I think, you know, you can feel feel confident that you're, you're doing what God mm. wants you to do. Yeah. That's awesome. And Jesus said, let the little children, let the preschoolers come to me. Yes, yes, absolutely. And parents are a great place for them to find him through them. That's very true. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's been really great. And so let me say a prayer. Sure. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for allowing us to have this time to talk about the fascinating complexities of the brain. And I praise you that you are such a God who has uh, made such a fascinating organ in our bodies that we can use to grow and learn and experience life. And, and 
we change through the process of these experiences and relationships that we have. Thank you for giving Jen this knowledge and this insight and this experience to share with us. And I pray that it would encourage parents that uh, as they get in there with their kids, that they're influencing their development, their uh behavior, and their faith. And so I pray that even at an early age, uh, kids would come to know and understand that there is a God, that Jesus loves them, and will be their friend forever. And so we thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Parent on, parents, you got this. Thanks for joining us for the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority in their families. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you showed your support by sharing, subscribing, and rating this podcast on iTunes. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org.